This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. Oh, Davo. Dark wings, dark words. I know, it really is. I feel like this week really is a dark week. You say that at the beginning of every week, but this week actually is a dark week. There's a rule of thumb, Dave, yeah. when there's more tragedies and loss in the world yeah. than Everton defeats. We're in a place of total darkness. Houston, yeah. mm-hmm. Florida, yeah. the Mexico earthquake, Puerto Rico. Oh, poor Puerto Rico. Yeah. Oh, to our friends on the island... Especially at Puerto Rico FC, GFOP, mm. Carmelo Anthony's team, and everyone, everyone on that island, we ache for you. And now, now, Las Vegas, yep. Vegas, Davo, that town of wonder, mm-hmm. where we were just three weeks ago together. We were. Our tears, they're filling up our glasses. Yeah. World needs more love, Davo. Yeah. Needs you, more love. If you haven't uh, watched it, Jimmy Kimmel's monologue last night, very powerful, very emotional. Not sure I've ever watched a comedian really losing it during his monologue, uh, but it's very moving. Um, what a role he's playing at the moment. A role you picked him out for on the man show. You yeah. knew he had it in him. And in fact, the fact that you didn't know he had it in him, that no one in the early days probably would have known. It makes it all the more powerful, David. Well, it was way before the man show, but he always had talent. But I'm not sure there is a... You know, we talked the other day on the pod about how much a man can change, how much you can change in your life. I'm not sure that I've known anybody in my life who has grown more as a human than uh, than James Kimmel. It's quite remarkable who he is today from from who he once was. Always a person, a remarkably nice guy, someone of incredible talent. But the things that he's able to uh, communicate uh, on television, just watching him this whole last year from the Academy Awards to his weighing in on healthcare to last night his monologue on Vegas... Um, quite powerful, quite amazing. Our thoughts with, you know, uh, all the families um, of the uh, victims of that horrible, horrible shooting. We should be careful of each other. We should be kind while there's still time. I, I want to offer you my condolences, Dave, on the passing of one of your early mentors. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I didn't see this on the news. I just happened to open up the newspaper this weekend when I was uh, sitting at the golf club and uh, read that the... Uh, the great Monty Hall had passed away. Um, Monty was a great mentor to me early in my career. I found myself in Florida in 1990, getting my Writers Guild card, working as a writer on Let's Make a Deal. It was a remake of the classic game show Let's Make a Deal, not the current Wayne Brady one. But but for those listeners who don't know, Let's Make a Deal is one of the yeah. great juggernauts of it's one of the television. great American game shows. It started on radio. Monty started it on radio in Canada and then brought it to the U.S. when he was a young man, moved from Canada, ended up sort of uh, in New York and then in Beverly Hills. And he really sort of made this show his own. He had an outstanding broadcasting career just way beyond, um, way beyond Let's Make a Deal. What kind of a man was he, Davo, for those of us who didn't know him? Uh, he was a gifted communicator, super sharp, and he, he understood... Hosting a game show is incredibly hard. It is, it's something that looks so easy on television, but the job is incredibly hard. You have to both administer a game. It's like trying to referee a game, play a game, and broadcast it all at the same time. It's, it's trying to like do you know, every single role. And he made it look effortless, and he just had this intrinsic understanding of people, and he knew the inflection point when he would get them to that moment of doubt when they would either, where they would be terribly tempted to take the money but they would also be terribly tempted to take what was behind the door or in the box or, or doing that thing. Oh, he the just, booby prize was always behind door uh, number three. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the zonk uh, <laughs> that was there between, between one, two, three. Anyway, this bizarre American game show, this young English writer in Orlando in 1989, 1990, got my break on that show. Monty was originally was another host. I've forgotten his name. Bob Hilton was his name. A former insurance salesman got the job to host the show. And it didn't do very well on NBC Daytime. So Monty was, was brought out of retirement. He's already in his 70s, brought out of retirement to uh, host the program. Bobby's still very big in insurance, it should be said. <laughs> the second he did it, he was just electric, his ability to sort of host that show. He had total command over it. And um, 
But the bigger thing for me is behind the scenes, watching this guy sort of as a young writer, aspiring producer, running a production meeting, the way he could explain the creative and the content. And I'm not trying to pretend this was... You know, the Merchant of Venice. This was not. Uh, this this was not Beethoven. It was bigger. But but he made every single deal on this game show. He dealt with it with a level of detail that was absolutely absolutely mind blowing. And I still run production meetings off an itemized rundown like Monty Hall. When I first saw Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the British um, the the British version of the game show, which really changed my career, Rog, uh, when I brought that to the U.S. Monty had said to me as a young writer that every great game show comes down to this one moment when you either win everything or lose everything. And when I first saw Millionaire, I saw that moment, Monty's moment, again and again and again and again and again. It's why I staked everything and, and quit my job at ABC to go and pursue that show. Um, you know, um, when, you, when you wrote that on Instagram stories, yeah. when you heard about his passing, that every great game comes down to a single moment when the contestant wins or loses everything. Yeah. I, I thought, not just every great game, but every game of football, and in fact, every great moment in life. Yeah, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. It's the, it's the glorious thing. It's the thing why I don't like previews, because what I, I don't like, I, I can't, you know, we've talked about this before, I don't like previewing football games, because what makes football so great is that you don't know exactly what's going to happen. There are these incredible moments we saw in this weekend where the whole game changes in an instant, and I love that. And let's make a deal, Monty Hall's juggernaut, it really was the American life to me, when I watch it, played out in fast motion losing mm-hmm. everything in public is really my entire life experience <laughs> encapsulated i loved your other point that you talked to you, the, when you're talking about life lessons you said details are always important and you learn that from monty Hall. every detail every detail he would talk a lot about the reveal i didn't get into this but you know, he talked a lot about the um you know the way that an envelope was opened during an award show the sound of the envelope the drum roll that is sort of a detail that came from sort of military executions, that drum roll. What do you call the music? Just a tension bed. The tension the bed. Tension this bed. Like pod needs more tension every, beds. Every single detail is so important, and the reveal in a game is is everything. In this way that every graphic's important in sports, every... Crap cat every, we're talking yeah, about yeah, exactly. <laughs> every detail is very important. Monty was a great uh, thing, and I, I ran into him a couple of times through the rest of my career. I communicated with his daughter, Sharon, this week, who... I ended up working with at Sony. She was a drama executive, a, a very successful television executive in her own right. I went and saw Monty a few years ago at Hillcrest Golf Club where he played, uh, played his golf in Los Angeles. And I told him that I still ran production meetings of an itemized rundown and I channel him all the time. And he said to me with that little twinkle in his eyes, like, I'm glad you can never get me out of your mind. Which I really, I really enjoyed. Oh, what a North American life. Born Monty Halperin. Yeah. In Winnipeg, mm-hmm. turn into Monty Hall, a juggernaut. I love that life lesson. Details are important because I'm someone who doesn't do details, Dave. That's why I hate bureaucracy. I like broad strokes, like Andy Carroll. <laughs> but oh. he does some details. Now he's passed. Yeah. Tom Petty, mm-hmm. rest in peace, oh. too. That great, great Floridian. Oh, baby, don't it feel like heaven right now? Don't it feel like something from a dream? And we got ourselves an international break to boot, Dave. Oh, total darkness. Thank mm. God pies don't go on international break, Dave. I'd be totally, totally bereft. One quick note I've got to ask you about. Yeah. Watching the college basketball meltdown this week. Why is every single villain in American sports named Blazer? <laughs> and college basketball taken down by Louis Martin Blazer, yeah. the third. Mm-hmm. God, I'd love to know who the second and the original were. Yeah. Damn you for the damage you're doing to the reputation of all Blazers, mate. I mean, what Chuck Blazer started, yeah. I think Louis Martin the third is finishing. If this all keeps up, we're going to have to change our name, David. What? The men in what? <sighs> the men in Alfie Mawson jerseys. <laughs> you are wearing an Alfie Mawson <laughs> number six jersey. Right now, people constantly say <laughs> to me, oh, I like, your men in, I like your men in suits, your men in jackets. <laughs> we could easily do... We could easily oh, do men that. in gillets. I yeah. like a nice gillet. Yeah. Oh, now I've got an Alfie Mawson Gillet. jersey on right now. Thanks to everyone at Swansea City for sending. They, what did they send you? I got a Tammy Abraham jersey. They, they know us. I think it was the third kit, so but I well, got it. I think Paul Clement picked them purposely for us. Yeah. He's a great friend of the pod. In other men in blazers news, news, mm. news. We need a tension bed in there. Yeah. In honor of Monty Hall. We need to get the Monty Hall tension bed, producer J Dubs. 
I spent this weekend. Tell you, Monty Hall didn't have a tension bed. He made the tension bed happen in the space between him and the contestant. The tension bed became way later in order to imitate what Monty Hall was able to do. He naturally conjure a tension bed. naturally conjure a tension bed. Just like I naturally conjure a cloud of total misery, self-loathing and displeasure. Yep. <laughs> pretty much. I pretty Foot much identical. Monty Hall's gift, please. Yeah. Uh, I spent this weekend, Dave, either fasting for Yom Kippur mm-hmm. or when that was done, I was holed up playing FIFA 18. Yeah. Just come out. Mm-hmm. I love the way they launch it on Yom Kippur, which yep. is, I've got to say, it's so, so, so bloody good this year. Game is slightly slower, so the gameplay feels even more realistic. Huh. And, and the call celebrations make it worth buying alone there's so much creative hugging in this version which mm. i'm all in on thanks to our great friends at ea sports we're able to award a glut of prizes 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 yeah to gfops in our look into the future and design the cover for fifa 19 competition absolutely take it away Dave. i love the idea of alex hunter spending yom kippur with you and your family yes he's a very pious man <laughs> yes rog uh the winner young hunter of our ea sports fifa 19 cover contest we must say we received some amazing entries for this one. Hundreds of GFOPs from around the world sent in submissions, and we've chosen six winners, each of whom will receive a <laughs> copy of EA Sports FIFA 18, courtesy of the GFOPs at EA Sports. Our Insert favorite. tension bed here. A <laughs> <laughs> favorite of the lot comes from GFOP Pei Yen in Laguna Beach, California. Let's describe pay yen's entry it is it is an amazing piece I mean, of photoshop it's up there with the mona lisa in my mind it's, it's uh haunting. it's it's real madrid's harry kane wearing at the bernabeu at the bernabeu wearing uh, a real madrid jersey his full real madrid kit this could be happening uh quite soon and his legs are just spread he's just scored a goal and he's just ronaldo style look at me and there's no speech bubble out of it but he's being he's like spurs yeah and i do believe that, that the face looking at the face new it, phone who this it does look like the level of detail here is that it does look like a morph between ronaldo's cristiano's and harry kane's actual uh, faces. I think it's um, Ronaldo's bust and yeah. Harry Kane mated together. Yeah, he has <sighs> built Christian Canaldo. That's pretty good. More Harry Kane to come. There are a ton of great entries. We're going to pop them all up on men in blazers.com. I will say this competition is one of my favorite annual rituals up there with Churchill Day uh, and the aforementioned Yom Kippur. <laughs> I, want to, I think it brings out the best in everyone. So thank you to all yeah. those GFOPs. And if you weren't a winner, grab hold of the game because it is, is a joy to behold. Absolutely. Next Men in Blazers show, Rog. When is it, Dave? October the 16th. At 5.30pm Eastern Time. Mm-hmm. Live after the game of the season. The oh. big one. The one we've all been waiting for. Who is it, Rog? Leicester City, West Brom. Oh. I love that. Ballads will be written about that one. <laughs> yeah. I promise you. Yeah. Uh, you've got two films debuting on NBCSN right before that game on the 16th at 1 p.m. It's the third part of your promoted series, which looks at teams that rose to the Premier League this season and the history and culture of the localities in which they play. The latest, Huddersfield Town. I know you are potty about Huddersfield. That's followed <sighs> Wisions. at 1.30 p.m. by your Inside the Mind of David Wagner I went documentary there. in which you enter the brain of the Terriers manager. I can't believe he let you in in a tiny travel capsule Rick Moranis <laughs> style. Or do you just practice phrenology? Either way, it's worth taking the afternoon off work. Is it? To catch those two <laughs> instant <laughs> classics. It is, David. Yeah. Monday, 16th of October. Yeah. All Huddersfield, all the time, yeah. up the Terriers. Do you uh-huh. think that whole town of Huddersfield uh-huh. has ever had so much exposure in America before on the annual Huddersfield Day on the NBC Sports Channel? Uh-huh. I'll say that David Wagner inside the mind is truly fascinating, despite the fact that I'm in it. He's just such a smart, innovative risk taker. Sometimes he takes a few too many risks, as mm. we will discuss today. <laughs> uh, okay, we've got a packed show. We're going to dissect Pep's tactical masterclass in City's 1-0 victory over Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. We beg United to put down the broomstick after their 4-0 <laughs> battering of Premier League Pinata Crystal Palace. They Bastards. could probably beat them at Quidditch as well. And we log on to Zillow.com to check out real estate along Gran Via for Harry Kane after another brace in Tottenham's 4-0 thumping of Huddersfield. Plus, a massive seismic holy crap week ahead 
for the US men's national team. Oh, my God. All right. To the football. Oh, I'm going to open this Guinness. And there's a toast. This is our tension bed. Yeah. I'm going to reflect my black-hearted mood by reading an email from GFOP Paul Debas, which is, thanks to its sorrow and its tone, our Guinness Poet Philosopher Scribe of the Week, David. Paul wrote, Dear men in blazers, I'm an Everton fan, a Dolphins fan, and a Rutgers fan. That means all, all three of my teams didn't just lose this weekend. None of them scored a point. Oh, my goodness. The Dolphins actually made Everton look like a well-oiled machine by comparison. So I raise this and I say to you, Paul Debus, to you, every supporter of every defiantly proud losing team, and not so defiantly proud losing team, I feel your pain. And I wish I could reach through the pod and give you, no doubt your, your body's still curled up in fetal position, Paul, a little hug. As a wise man... Named Dabo said last week, what's wrong with losing the day instead of saving it? So I raise this Guinness to losing the day, Davo. Mm, yeah. Every now and then you've got to lose. Nice segue. Chelsea nil, Man City won. First place, Manchester City marches on Stamford Bridge and defeats the defending champs behind a thunderous 67th minute strike from head ginger in charge and Chelsea discard... <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne, an impressive win and dominant performance for Pep Guardiola's men against the team they struggled against last season. We remember the f- famous crossbar uh, attempt from KDB right in front of goal. They managed to wipe that one, one away. One of the many great moments in yeah. two Manchester City losses last season, mm. which made this a moment of truth for Guardiola and his pepper balls at City, who, as you mentioned, lost not just once, but twice against yeah. Chelsea last season. So this was a Manchester City win. For which hyperbole doesn't do justice. Yeah. Say, Chelsea entered the game with the wind at the backs. I mean, that nipple-tingling midweek victory at Atletico Madrid. Yeah. City, admittedly a day more rest from their Champions League to- toils during the, during the week. But the double-body blows at the loss of Benjamin Mendy and Sergio Aguero. We should mention how he got injured, fracturing his rib after a PT cruiser that he'd gone into, a PT bloody cruiser. Mm. He was taxiing in it, crashed in Amsterdam. He could miss eight weeks. At Josh T tweeted, who let Scooby drive the mystery machine? (laughs) (laughs) How optimistic were you before kickoff, Dave? Take us back before kickoff as the teams were lining up. I mean, to be honest, I hadn't thought a lot about this game. Because you don't do previews. Well, no, but I hadn't thought a lot about it. And um, I was still, frankly, and still am today, just dealing with the highs of that amazing win uh, midweek against you Atletico Madrid. That was a great win. It's Chelsea have not played a better game in Europe that I've ever seen, including the Champions League final. They've not played a game in which they not only won, but they actually dominated the game. There was a beautiful moment when Antonio Conte was leaping around on the sideline, which I was Instagram storying, and then I spun around to capture yeah. Devo in his complete and utter thrill of victory <laughs> doing an eerily similar dance. It was truly <laughs> joyful. Uh, yeah, now that was an amazing win. So I hadn't thought a lot about it. Look, I've gone on record. I think Manchester City and Manchester United, they're the two best teams in the Premier League this year. You always feel that you might go and lose to one of those teams. Chelsea, you know, some of their impregnability at Stamford Bridge has just gone out of the window the last few seasons, certainly the season before last, and certainly the opening day of the season against Burnley. However... I did not expect Chelsea to lose this match in the way that they lost this match. And the way they lost this match was they were utterly and completely out-tacticked, Rog, by Pep Guardiola. I mean, out-everything, Dave. I mean, when you mentioned tactics, this was from the off, like watching elite avant-garde 4D tactical chess from both managers. I mean, yeah. at the outset, you think that hidden gem Fabian Delph is a left-back? He's a false two. Yeah. And you think Hazard is a big bottom small? No, he's going to play like a big bottom big. This was high octane stuff. It was a heavyweight prize fight for the neutral. City trying to compensate for their litany of injuries. Sent Sané and Raz high up the field. They pinned Chelsea's wing backs in their own half, especially the lethal Dave. Stunted that supply line that's been so productive. But that's a high risk game against a Chelsea who just love to punish opponent's mistakes and the true story of this game for me David that bar one Kyle Walker relapse in the first half 
City just didn't make any mistakes. Well, you also said a very key thing there. Wing back Dave. Dave does not play wing back in this system, in the Antonio Conte three-man uh, back thing. He plays a centre back. And I think Conte, after midweek, he sort of changed his lineup a little bit. He shifted a little bit. He played two men up front instead of his standard three. And he went back to that again. And, oh, my word, Pep was ready for it. He then decided to go a little bit more conservative, fit an extra centre-back into the lineup, and play Dave at wing-back rather than uh, Victor Moses. And he paid for it. Chelsea had no width. Manchester City killed them with width. They pinned back uh, Chelsea's wing-backs. And suddenly they had all the space. Yeah, I mean, then they were so emboldened come the 35th minute when the stunningly handsome, just as effective, Alvaro Morato limped off. Yeah. God, I just felt for you. That hamstring injury, I felt for football. He's possibly out for a month. Yeah, we'll see. Cue looks of concern across the requisite fan shops. Yeah. Chelsea technical director, Michael Emanalo. My Lord, he was first to give a standing ovation Mm. for old Murata as he stumbled off from behind the Chelsea bench. Really, a symbol of just how much your club no, they've come to rely on him so quickly, Murata. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay, though. We've got Solanke. Oh, no, we don't. But we've got Abraham. Oh, no, we don't. We let him go, too. <laughs> we really oh, we got bats. we got bats. Let's go and stick bats out there. But he didn't even put bats in. Uh, he brings the on... The withered Willian. Yeah, he brings on Willian. Decides to not go and play anybody uh, up front uh, whatsoever. And I think this was the first game where... This was the first big game that Conte's played. By the way, he's not won every big game. We go back to the beginning of last season, the Vendepunkt, the turning point, those losses in quick succession against Arsenal and Liverpool, which changed the way he played. But since then, he's not won every big game. There was that terrible Spurs. loss in, well, there was that terrible loss also in Manchester. This game reminded me a lot of that loss in Manchester against Manchester United, where he just felt individually outplayed uh, <sighs> that day. But it's very rare at home to watch him being sort of out-tactic throughout the game. His changes didn't make the difference. He never got a grip on what Manchester City were trying to do and not only trying to do, achieving constantly against his side. Poets looking for a through line on this game could suggest that while Man City were able to find a way to win without their leading scorer, your team, Chelsea, they almost instantly became impotent without theirs. I mean, what Morata's loss did... Chelsea were deprived of a willing runner. There was no one going behind the opponent's back two and a half. Psychologically, Chelsea replaced their own threat with a sudden, nagging, sagging awareness of their own mortality. And in the second half, City just came on, transformed. They suddenly were relentless hunters. Chelsea sat deep. Pep, it was like watching... I read a lot about Roman siege warfare. I'm quite fascinated by it. I mean, they were just ruthless tacticians. And Pep was just like a general taken to a besieged town. I mean, he sent siege towers, catapults, iron-tip battering rams, heavy cavalry, David Silva's short probing, KDB's effortless long balls. God, Silva and KDB. They are, they are. They're the the best duo since Kit Harrington and Rose Leslie. And Chelsea at first, I'll say, I thought they remained cool, Davo. Christensen, so robust, really excelled. Rudiger, rippled. And the legacy of JT for me at Chelsea, few defences block more shots on the edge of the area. Oh, my Chelsea, word, they block so many. It's like Chris Pronger's playing for you. Well, look, I mean, I think you have to say about Chelsea, Chelsea weren't completely and utterly outplayed. Chelsea played some very good football just to stay in this game, just to advance beyond halfway. That's how good Manchester City were. That's so how true. good the tactics were, how so well they played. Chelsea had, Chelsea had some moves where in order to get out of their own defensive third out of their own middle third. They had to do things just exceptional just to do that. There was some like beautiful... Give, like give the ball to Raz. Well, there was some, <laughs> there was some beautiful technical <laughs> football played. Not necessarily by Bakayoko and Kante, but there was some beautiful technical football played in this game. Uh, and Chelsea did, did, did their part as well. Did you think they could well. hold off City? Well, no, they did defend incredibly well. And I think you've got to give some credit to Chelsea to only lose this match 1-0 when they were just so overmatched. Totally agree. Chelsea, and this is the, the key to this Chelsea side, and it's why they... When they get the tactics right going forward, they can be a danger in Europe and they can still be, you know, one weekend does not make the Premier League. They can still be a danger in the Premier League. They are just very good at defending and they have so many defenders. You're right to point out Christensen, you're right to put out Rudiger. But I got to tell you, if I wasn't already impressed with Manchester City after this one, I feel like Pep is starting to get the hang of this Premier League lark. But it took 67 minutes, David. Frustrated. It was like watching KDB. It was as if he was frustrated by his teammates' imprecision. I mean, he just seemed to say, you know what? 
I'm going to take matters into my own hands. It's like watching a man arrive at a fist fight with a war hammer in his hand. That ginger, athletic Belgian cowherd. He exchanged passes with Gabriel Jesus, broke through, pulled back his left foot, and then he just dispatched that rising high heat. Oh, all the pent-up pain born of rejection, Dave, frustration and the yearning for redemption. Yeah, the, all of it the came crossbar. out. The crossbar. Yeah, the cro- I felt it was the crossbar. December. Yeah, definitely. When, if you don't remember, Google it. You can watch KDB miss an open goal. The same man who scored this goal. Yeah. This absolute lash missed an open goal from two yards out, which would have finished off Chelsea only to see them turn the game around yeah. and win comprehensively. This year, he gained his revenge. The way he roared as the ball hit the back of the net. It was like watching an outcast experience vengeance, wonder, glory, footballing Rachel Lee Cook in She's All That right at the end. When you watched him charge towards the City fans, he picked them out from the thousands of Chelsea fans who'd once watched him in a darker blue shirt before he was spurned mm. in a Mourinho ginger purge, mm. sent away for just $24 million three years ago. You know, a lot of them went KDB, Mata, Lukaku. Do you rue KDB most? Yeah, KDB, certainly more than anybody else because we never really had a player who replaced him. Um, with Lukaku, we signed some very good strikers. You know, look, Bats. in the end, well, Lukaku for Diego Costa first and now Diego Costa for Morata. So we've, we've done pretty well in that position. KDB is the one that hurts because we've never really had a player like him. By the way, when he played at Chelsea, his first go-round, and by the way, he then did come on in Germany. It's not like he went straight to Man City and made it. But he was a wide player, played wide, and it clearly was not his position. I think more and more the work he's doing at Man City is when he's just inside, battering ram, straight down the middle. He's almost incomparable in world football. I can't think of a player who plays quite like KDB. Um, but a superb player. He has disarming physical strength, quite apart from his technical skill, his vision, his finishing ability. He just does so many things well. Oh, and, and so behold, Pep Guardiola's first ever victory against Chelsea in eight attempts. As comprehensive, as you said, as comprehensive a 1-0 win as yeah. I've seen. More dominant than the Manchester United last-minute flurry 4-0. Yeah. Chelsea just made to look blunt, lacking in power even. Mm-hmm. Something I never thought I'd say about Conte's Chelsea. I mean, City's potency was just so rippled. I can't remember when I last saw Chelsea outplayed, outmuscled, how everything did Stamford Bridge like that. How did it make you feel? Well, not against domestic competition. Against European competition, it's happened. And it did remind me a lot of the game at Old Trafford when they were outmuscled by Mourinho, like doing one on his old team uh, for there. But it's, it's, yeah, I haven't seen it happen a lot at home except by Burnley. Uh, when we had one less, mighty Burnley, when mate. we had mighty one, Burnley. when we had one, one less pair on the pitch, like, I don't. I mean, look, as far as Chelsea is concerned, I don't think it takes um, a lot of uh, soccer knowledge to look at two teams and to say Manchester City are a better football team than Chelsea. The weird thing about Chelsea, you could have said the same about the two teams last year, and Chelsea won the Premier League. Chelsea find a way to win things when they're not necessarily the best team in it. The one sort of asterisk I put on it, and it's not vis-a-vis Manchester City, but vis-a-vis the performance, is that coming off that European high, I think that you watch that Chelsea performance midweek, this was a, that was a dominant physical performance. That had every single thing. I think now we've got to worry a little bit, what are Chelsea going to be without Morata? But I don't think you will see Antonio Conte adjust to play the opposition at home at Stamford Bridge again, going away from his beloved system in order to adjust at home. I think a lot of fans really, you know, uh, raise their eyebrows at that. Bright side, as you've said, to only lose by one goal against that attack. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than an attack, it's a mass brigade, strong and intelligent as Manchester City's, a team that is able to score goals from all over that field. Yeah. It's honestly, it's an immense positive. City had 62% possession, 17 shots, most cannoned off Rudiger's buttocks. Mm-hmm. But Conte is going to have plenty to think about over the international break. 19 matches at home last season, just six points dropped. This season, they've already let eight slip. Lack of a trusted replacement for Morata. Willian's decline. And a squad that really doesn't look dense enough right now to wage war on multiple fronts. Absolutely. That's the key point. You know, this was, a, this was the first week in which they really had a challenging Premier League game um, after playing in Europe. And the first thing we saw is not a huge amount of rotation of the squad. 
Uh, very, very similar starting lineup. It's going to be a very, very tough season. An enormous signature win, though, for Pep, Guardiola and City. So much turbulence entering this game with the injuries to Mendy and Aguero. So destabilising. I say Fabian Delph, oh, so intelligent at whatever kind of left-backish kind of position he was playing. City, who'd netted 16 goals in savaging lesser teams, Palace, Watford and Liverpool, who'd been sent down to 10 men here subduing your Chelsea with ease. And just as crucial as the goal in the long term, the clean sheet achieved despite an Otamendi being on the field. Edison, <laughs> wow. Edison what? played great. Edison Fantastic. looked to it. That was another big point about this game, I think, for Manchester City's title aspirations, is that, you know, when you go sort of man for man, if you build a combined Man United, Man City team, you know, you would almost always take David, I think almost everybody would take David De Gea in goal. This was the first weekend in which I thought Edison's got some things that I wouldn't mind having him in goal for that you know for that combined team he's um he's how you say mammoth upgrade in goalkeeping confidence in Portuguese uh this isn't a clash of the big six Rog but significant for both teams in different ways Manchester United four Crystal Palace nil on the other side of Manchester the most predictable result of the weekend sees Jose Mourinho's United repel lowly hapless lifeless insert similar adjective here Palace from Old Trafford, behind goals from Kebe Juan Mata, Romelu Lukaku, your boy, and two mm. from your other boy, Marouane oh, Fellaini. Palace still without a single point or goal on the season. Dead so long, rigor mortis is setting in, Rog. Oh, what I've realised is United had the best of Everton. Everton's big mistake was to be the best of Swansea. Mm. But we'll get to that. How we weep right now for Rebecca Lowe's Crystal Palace to give them their full name. God, that coach journey to Old Trafford. No goals without starting striker Christian Benteke. Now down, out for six weeks of a knee injury. That must have been some stomach-churning experience. I imagine Roy Hodgson would have just said, lads, keep things close and tight for as long as you can. And they lasted all of three minutes, torn apart by that mice and men midfield. Matter, George Milton, the intelligent self-taught. Little guy and the giant, Marouane Fellaini, the bulky yet awkward Lenny Small. Both of them did the damage. Mata scoring a classic Juan Mata goal. Hugs and then Fellaini. He's just like a giant, angry sunflower. Kind of a target at set pieces. All his teammates just seem to aim the ball at him and he banks it in. What is fascinating about Fellaini, when he scores, he's still so wounded by his early Old Trafford experiences. He still points just to the name on the back of his jersey like Willie Loman. I want my name. I want my name back. But he's gone this season, Dave, under Mourinho's careful, confidence-building tutelage from transfer Joe Clown to potent warrior hero. Do you remember that season under Moyes when Man United constantly crossed the ball and they could never, ever score a goal? This now, is what he was aiming for. Totally. Totally. And this was the, the total attack plan. It's just when it's working for you, it's working. <sighs> Lukaku finished off the route with his seventh goal in seven games. Big mm-hmm. whoopee. Seven more goals than the entire Crystal Palace squad. Yeah. An optimistic Crystal Palace fan, Dave. Mm. Could they make the claim that virtually every visitor's lost 4-0 at Old Trafford? So they've actually kind of reached normal team status with this result. Look, they've uh, Crystal Palace in their defence, have had a very, very tough early season fixture list. In that they've had to play opponents. <laughs> yeah, they have. But they've, they've gone to Manchester United. They've gone to Liverpool. They've gone to City. So they've had a very tough away fixture list. It's those home losses uh, to Swansea and Huddersfield um, that have really, really done them in, though, Rog. It's, a, it's tough. They don't defend very well. They don't have Wilfred Zaha. Uh, you mentioned Benteke. Uh, Loftus-Cheek, he's out with a groin strain. They just don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of players. They don't seem to have any belief whatsoever, and they're getting slaughtered. I cannot imagine how low their morale is right now. I can. Yeah, well, no, it's, it, it's, it's actually lower than that, Rog. I was it's thinking about lower. my own morale. I wasn't no. thinking about Everton. <laughs> it's, well, it's, well the, the two are interconnected. <laughs> it, is, it is just as low as it can be right now, and I just don't know how they turn it around. Certainly... You glance over towards the sideline oh. looking for inspiration oh. and you see Uncle Roy and it just, <laughs> he still looks very confused. It's Rog. not clear there's been any evident change. Yeah. Uh, and, and it may be harsh to judge him so quickly because the kind of transformation that he deals in takes time um, to settle. But uh, 
there's, all I can see is just an uptick in, in post-match candor with his, his bewildered admission that his Crystal Palace team, quote, is like a boxer fighting in a class that he's not able to handle. That must really inspire confidence in that squad before they host Chelsea uh, in the next game. Uh, uh, Palace, to me, they remind me of the stories you hear when you, you speak to US men's national team players who used to play in the 80s when they were really, really outgunned and outmatched. And they tell you stories about whoever the manager was pre-game, especially at the Azteca, would just look at them and say, let's go out there and, and just not get beat too badly. Let's just aim not to embarrass ourselves, okay? Kick um, it hard. <laughs> yeah, kick it, man. <laughs> boot it, okay? Boot it tough. I just, I, I watch Crystal Palace and I can't help but think about my childhood mate, Stewie, who had a pair of socks, sports socks, athletic socks, by his bed. And it took me a long time to realise that those socks were merely a receptacle for his nightly discharges. Uh, and he used the same pair oh, every night for years. They were just like, at that, time, at that point, they were more crust than sock. Ugh. And that's Crystal Palace this season. They're just, they're just a receptacle for emissions. I'm longing for Palace to get a win, get three points. Suddenly, everything will look up. Everything uh, will be very different. United, Surely, it's coming. United, buoyant, even though they're yet to face a member of last season's top six, which they do when we return to Premier League action. They visit Liverpool. October 14th. Big game. And then face Spurs and Chelsea in two of the three games that follow. Oh, Rodgers has got a little twinkle in his eye now. (laughs) Just hoping that bad things are going to happen to his former Everton boys. (laughs) Huddersfield, nil. Tottenham, Rodge, four. Three goals in a 14-minute first-half span, including two from Sir Harold of Kane. Leave David Wagner's men with double visions. Spurs (sighs) surge into third place and maintain their 100% start to the season away from Wembley. Oh, Spurs, so happy on the road. They, mm. they, they, they should, love the road. They love an odyssey. They love, love it. They love, it. love an odyssey. They do. Yeah. They love an odyssey. <laughs> yeah. They love an odyssey even more than Homer. Yeah. Uh, Huddersfield, though. Oh, they'd only allowed three goals in their first six top flight matches. They enter this game. Um, hard to believe they had the second best defensive record in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And a fatal overdose of naive confidence that came Along with it, and it was torn asunder by three Spurs goals in the first 23 minutes. Cue our weekly wank-off over Sir Harry of Kane. Yeah, the first one with his right foot, that was a good one, Rod. <sighs> the second one with his left was a, oh, that was just class. And his assist to Ben Davis in between. Yeah. He's now netted 84 goals from 123 Premier League appearances. 13 goals in all competitions in September. When I watch him, I think about like a great major league slugger in the midst of a sizzling hitting streak when they say that the baseball just seems to slow down as it approaches the plate or they yeah. you know it looks so huge as they come near me as the ball comes near me I can't help but hit it out the park in the same way Kane just makes every football look like the goals are twice as big to him that the defenders are half as fast every goalkeeper seems like Joe Hart uh, are we making too much of him, David? And he's been doing this for three years, bar August. It's it's what he does every single year. You know, uh, British radio uh, spent the entire uh, weekend just debating the in various forms, is Harry Kane world-class? Is it fair to call him world-class? Can we call him world-class? It's a very divisive subject. I think that you just have to say Harry Kane is the best player that England have right now, and he's the best forward that we've had since Alan Shearer. And there's no... I don't think there's any other way to, 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 to skin that. World class, we won't know until he goes and plays regularly in Europe or if he goes and actually leaves and goes to Real Madrid. Then we might know if he's world class. I, I right now, he's just exceptional. and We should be all treasuring him. I love it. Uh, if anything, David, I think we underappreciate him precisely because he is English and he speaks English. So we understand every kind of word that comes out of his mouth. There's no mystery about him. Yeah. You know, the, the foreign language creates mystery around Lionel Messi. Yeah. The pectorals, the secret private life, the Lamborghini front creates mystery yeah. around Ronaldo. The tan legs. Yeah, I mean, we simply call Harry Kane a mouth breather. Yeah. He's a mouth breather. We he try is. and bring him yeah. down. We wait for him to fail. I mean, the Tottenham fans, they love singing he's just a one-season wonder with full-throated joy. Mm. And we should enjoy him while we can. His weekly wages are $130,000 at Spurs, which sounds a lot, but it's peanuts everywhere. Uh, compared to people who put the ball in the back of the net less than Harry Kane. We are truly watching 
Real Madrid's Harry Kane. And he's becoming that more and more of every goal, stepping stone away from Tottenham's arms every time the ball goes into the net. But Spurs, they're no one-man team. I mean, even though Pep Guardiola cheekily labelled them as that this weekend, Eriksen, Alderweireld, Vertonghen, Ben Bloody Davis, even the begrudging Sissoko contributing. The one black eye we should mention, Delhi. Yeah. Who's been kind of chucking in the spiky challenges, the one-finger salutes, and in this game, a ridiculous booking for a dive in the area when Spurs are already 3-0 up. Oh, ridiculous, meaning it was it was a ridiculous offence to get a booking for. It was about the most stone-cold simulation call I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, he's going through, I like to think of it, as Justin Bieber coming of age in spotlight paint. Yeah. And he just needs to dump a pet monkey at German customs and things will have bottomed down and everything will be good again. Spurs, though, have won their last six away in the Premier League, scoring 25 goals in the process. They just need to start treating Wembley mentally for what it is, an away game. And I think greatness... Greatness will ensue. Yeah, a lot of uh, uh, Spurs fans holding on to Harry Kane's words that if he gets a fair offer, he wants to stay at Tottenham, he wants to go and stay playing in that shirt. I think the problem for Tottenham is that that stadium, the new stadium, the cost of double, I think originally it was 200 million, then to 400. Now it's an 800 million stadium. I think Spurs are going to need a return on some of that investment. And I think that uh, with those European uh, greats uh, circling, I think Harry Kane is going to be off. So enjoy him while he is there. Not just Tottenham fans, all football fans. It's just wonderful to watch him play football right now. Arsenal 2, Brighton and Hove Albion nil. Arsene Wenger's men continue their climb up the table with a comfortable win at home over new boys. Brighton, Nacho Monreal struck in the 16th minute and in the 56th minute, Alex Iwobi. We're a Wobies team now. Latched onto a symphonic Alexis assist to seal the deal. Arsenal up to fifth, level on points with Chelsea and trailing Spurs by just one. Just what Arsenal needed. And no fuss, no drama, no Ozil. Uneventful routine win. Nozel. Six consecutive in all comps. I'll say no team moves as loudly from eighth to fifth place as Arsenal Football Club. Just goal difference separates them and Chelsea in fourth. Oh, the precious coveted fourth place trophy is within fingertips. <laughs> yes, it is. And after four league games in which his team of won three, scored seven, conceded none, Wenger, though, hinted at loftier, some would say slightly more deluded mm. aims. He said only seven games played, 31 to go. Last year, after six games, Manchester City was top with 18 points. Let's not go to quick conclusions. It's mm. a long way to go. Oh, Wenger, sick burn, bro. Yeah, frozen cold takes. That could be uh, <laughs> featured in later. Newcastle won, Liverpool won. All the Reds' Gemini tendencies came out in this one. Rog Coutinho opened the scoring with a stunner. But just eight minutes later, Joel Martip's last-ditch tackle on Husselu sent the ball caroming off the German-born Spaniard's knee and passed a helpless Simon Mignolet. A point apiece for Newcastle manager Rafa Benitez and his former club, which now sits in seventh place on 12 points. Rog. Oh, how that proud Anfield chant, we are Liverpool, tra-la-la-la-la, mm. it's just taken on a sinister, twisted menace. Oh, I miss Happy Plot. This, it, oh, they are, Liverpool are the most bipolar team in football. In, in this game, they take the lead in stunning fashion. Yeah. Classic Coutinho, the only goal he knows how to score from way downtown. Yeah. Steph Curry range, curling away from a flailing goalkeeper. Five of his last six goals have been scored from outside the box. I don't think since Big Pappy, an athlete, has been more in love with the long ball. Mm. Little Pappy. He goes deep. <laughs> he likes to go deep. What I admire about this Liverpool team, though, is how consistent they are in their unpredictability. I mean, 29th minute, a stunner. Seven minutes later, they concede in Benny Hill best of DVD style. Joel Matip thoughtfully kicked the ball right into Hosselu's shin at the right angle so it would ricochet with perfect speed and trajectory to bobble past the completely and utterly confused and defeated Simon Mignolet. 68% possession for Liverpool against a dogged, also I'll say impressive, Benitez defensive performance, but they can't do anything with it. It's such a familiar pattern. Listen to this stat, David. At Bass Tune to Red, the Liverpool statistician said, Liverpool have played 38 away games under Klopp. In half of those... They've had less than 60% possession and they've earned 38 points, two points per game when they have less than 60% possession. But when they have more than 60% possession, 
they win just 25 points, a ratio of 1.3 points per game. Mm. And the worrying thing for Liverpool fans, they've seen so often that their team, when they're denied space to attack, have no answer. Klopp seems to have no learning curve, David. It's just the same effort over and over. Same thing on the, uh, on the defensive flammability. Just the repeat performance without any kind of learning or, or advanced iteration as a result of that. Yeah. I mean, there is a manager on the other side of the ball, and I think that in this game, clearly, Benitez knew what he was doing. He, he deploys what he has superbly, getting performances out of you know, a lot of players who are either very raw in the Premier League or you know, tried and tested and not spectacular. You know, we talk a lot about you know, the Premier League mood table. And uh, I'm sure you find this with your family members who are Liverpool fans. My mates who are Liverpool fans are, they are completely and utterly bereft, confounded, confused, flummoxed. They just don't really know how to feel about this team. Um, They they want so much to believe in Jurgen Klopp. The idea of not believing in Jurgen Klopp. Liverpool fans, I don't think there are any fans in football who want to believe more in their manager, who talk about belief more. Remember all the Brendan Rodgers, like we believe in Brendan. You know, there's still the ghost of Kenny Dalglish there. It's a, they just want to believe so much in this man. And the idea that their faith is getting shaken right now is just, uh, is just tearing them apart. And by the way, any GFOPs in technology who know how to make a weekly mood table based on <laughs> fan sentiment, we would love to speak to you. We actually asked over Twitter whether there was a team in sports that's more creatively gifted, yet sabotagingly self-destructive in equal measure like Liverpool. At Will Ramsey, thought Enron comes to mind. <laughs> Mark Dolce then sent a raven <laughs> to suggest. So in other words, you're saying that Liverpool are the Shia LaBeouf of the English Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interesting to do a Premier League to Hollywood actor translator. That's a very good idea. Okay, Rog, West Brom 2, Watford Two after going ahead through two goals in the first 21 minutes from Salomon Rondon and Northern Irish Salomon Rondon, Johnny Evans. The Baggies <laughs> capitulate. The equaliser came in second half injury time. The equaliser from guess who, Rog? Your favourite, Rich Arlison. Oh, my guilty pleasure. Late 95th minute, dying embers goal. This time he kept his shirt on, mm. but only just. I'll say the free the nipple force is strong with this one. <laughs> yeah. Stoke City 2, Southampton 1, an 85th minute winner from Parlour Limbs. Peter Crouch, Rog, remember him? Sees the Potters repel the Saints from the Bet365 with a lowercase b. Southampton and Stoke at 12th and 13th in the table, respectively. Peter Crouch, fast approaching that pantheon of great English institutions that are so self-effacing, so glorious. It's like Judy Dench, Sir Patrick Stewart. They're so themselves, they can only be universally adored. So good. Crouchy, he'd be great on Star Trek. Uh, Bournemouth, <laughs> he could play an alien with no makeup whatsoever. <laughs> Bournemouth nil, Leicester City nil. While the idea of Jamie Vardy smashing ales smashing with the family ales. carts, Ribena for mini carts, <laughs> fills us with so much joy. The idea of recapping this football game does not. Each side claim a much needed point from a game in which Leicester manager Craig Shakespeare started Riyad Mahrez on the bench, Rod. Oh, that'd be an amazing television show. Hello, you're watching Smashing Ales with me, Jamie Vardy. <laughs> uh, beers on the couch on the plane. Wouldn't need tension beds, that yeah. show. Just Smashing Ales. West Ham won, Swansea City nil. A 90th minute winner oh. from Diafra Sacco sees the Hammers trade places with Paul Clement's men in the relegation zone. Everton, nil. Burnley, one. Speaking of the relegation zone, Rog, a team just two points clear, Rog. Your beloved Everton. They fell to the Clarets at Goodison Park. A 21st-minute goal from Irish international Jeff Hendrick. The difference in this one, Roger, uh, the floor is yours. This is a little bit like Skip Bayless going on uh, undisputed talk about the Dallas Cowboys when they lose on Monday morning. You're comparing me to Skip Bayless? A little bit. Oh, that's possibly the most... It's the loveliest thing you've ever said to me, David. <laughs> Go ahead, Rog. I don't know how to describe this. I fasted for 25 hours, David, yeah. on Saturday yeah. for Yom Kippur. With Alex Hunter. No food, uh-huh. no water, not even any scotch. Uh-huh. And I just spent the entire time thinking about what I've done wrong yeah. and about death. Mm-hmm. The 90 minutes that I spent watching Everton yeah. on Sunday... Play Burnley were much worse, more miserable, 
more painful, more packed with suffering. And, and you've done a lot wrong. And you, you've got very advanced thoughts about death. Yeah. I mean, as any Everton fan is forced to confront, I mean, I'd say Burnley first. Let's say great things about them. They're, this is a team with one point this season at Stamford Bridge, yeah. Anfield uh-huh. and Wembley. Yeah. And they steamed into the lead with a stunning team goal. It was a 24-pass move. Mm. Movement, strength, ideas. and they just, Patterns. Oh, patterns, pies. <laughs> they peeled away just layer after layer of Everton's defensive shield, humiliated our defensive midfielders, left Pickford naked, bloodied and exposed. Only Crystal Palace, the worst team of all time, trademark have been behind for longer than Everton in the league this season. Uh-huh. And when that goal went in, fear gripped Goodison. The fans knew this was going to be a true character test for a team that has been totally devoid of character. Personally, two decades of making more out of less. That's what I love about Everton. We're now making less out of more, far less. We created nothing. We fought for nothing. We believed in nothing. No system, no confidence. We had the energy levels of Jay Cutler. No speed. I'm furious, David. The thrill of my week used to be watching Everton Football Club win or lose, but they take on all comers with tenacity. Pluckiness. Yeah. And right now, it's just a numbing chore with no redeeming quality. It's like having sex with me, probably. <laughs> but to have to put my kids through that, abject Everton, submit at home to Burnley. I, I tweeted that I spent the rest of Sunday exper- just experiencing levels of misery, pain, self-loathing. Even the blood fans on Arsenal Fan TV have no idea what that feels like. So what's going wrong, Rod? I, I want to ask you, David. <laughs> how, how do you look at it, the problems of those of us on the pavement from up there in your Chelsea penthouse? I do think that in modern sport, almost across the board, when you give up speed in modern sport, look at what's happening in New England, as I'm watching a lot more NFL football, New England's defense is a very slow defense. You just cannot play modern football in any code without speed. And Everton have very little speed. And they've, they've, as we've spoken about their transfer policy is they're buying older players rather than younger players who would sell on value. And we, we questioned it as a commercial decision, but as a footballing decision, buying older players when you don't have all that speed coming in and you've got a manager who doesn't want to play all the young quicks. He's not playing all those young players to sort of make up for the speed around it. It's lost some of the dynamism. And I think the second thing is, is that sometimes it's more fun playing as an underdog. You're more released to go and do things as an underdog. And now, Everton having spent that money and bought in some bigger names, it's harder for them. They feel that they've got more pressure on them now, more pressure on to succeed. Not only both you and I, but many people picked Everton to do very, very well this season. Certainly, there was more buzz around Everton going into this season than I remember in any season since we've been doing this, Rog. And I think that pressure has got to them. It's not easy playing when people expect you to win. Uh, I'd say the late, great Monty Hall would be very happy that Everton have gone into the international break on a cliffhanger with a tension bed. Yeah. Who will be Everton's manager when we return after the break? Wow. Uh, Farhad Mashiri, club majority owner, Bat Kuman. Mm-hmm. With the kiss of death, vote of confidence, which he oh, also no. undermined by saying that the Burnley loss was, quote, the only unexpected loss this season because we played so many massive teams. Instantly putting Everton fans' teeth on edge, the implication that Everton should expect to lose any game. It's like absolutely scurrilous in the eyes of any true supporter. But the honest truth, the honest truth, Davo, the most damning indictment of Cummins Everton, it's less the results. It's more the performances, mm. selections, tactics, effort, just lack of any evident learning curve. I asked myself, what is Ronald Koeman good for? And this is the only thing I could come up with. I started a list. If okay. you measure the craniums of every Premier League manager by volume and landmass, I pretty well bet money that Koeman would come top by far. He really is a shadow lover's mm. dream, man. So who do you want to come in to manage the team, Rod? Who you, Davo. <laughs> okay. You're not available. Yeah, not available. Not right now. Not Ancelotti. I'd take Rick Pitino. I'd take Bruce Arena. By the way, Rick Pitino. That would be an amazing bastard offspring of Jose and Rick. I'd genuinely love Miguel Herrera. Genuinely love him. Uh-huh. Or Sean Deitch. Yeah. Everton need a manager who loves being at Everton Football Club and understands mm. what's special about it. From day one, Ronaldo Koeman made it pretty clear that the club is a stepping stone, which is absolutely unforgivable. 
at six monkey mama tweeted the only thing that can turn everton round now is some wayne rooney poetry he actually wrote a poem after this game for the pod which i can read to you we are shite <laughs> shite shite like when i wake up in a strange black vw beetle after a long night 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 the media moan the fans rant i feel like i do after a failed hair transplant <laughs> plant plant <laughs> Thank you, Wayne. That's pretty I feel good. Better now. That's pretty good. I feel better, don't you? Okay, Everton may be taking on Walter Rodge, but your Togger team is on the up. Oh. Out of the fifteen thousand seven hundred and seventy-eight members of our Togger league, you finished fifth, Rodge. Yeah, I take no pleasure in that. Do you know how I did become fifth? Uh, how did you do it, Rodge? I started Nick Pope, Burnley's goalkeeper, <laughs> to curse him, and he ended up having a blinder, and I got like two hundred and fifty points off him. He had like two thousand saves. In a Tracy Chapman fast car twist of irony, Rodge, you didn't have enough. Uh, to surpass uh, one player, actually four players, but the top of them, Feel the Burnley, this week's winner, who will receive a custom Men in Blazers patch. Feel the Burnley. <laughs> All info on signing up for our fantasy league is on meninblazers.com. In MLS, Rog. That's a Monty Hall tension bed if I ever heard one. Real. The Supporters' Shield is officially heading north of the border for the first time in MLS history. Oh, a dominant Toronto FC secured... The MLS Supporters' Shield earning the top seed in the playoffs by virtue of a 19-5-8 record and an uncatchable 65 points. As they say in Canada, mazel tov, eh? Mm. Excellent performance by them. Okay, Rog, put on your depends because we're entering oh. a massive week for soccer in this country. A week so big, even we will have trouble overhyping it. Friday night, Bruce Arena's boys host Panama in Orlando and Tuesday... They travel to Trinidad and Tobago for the two final games of the Vaunted Hex. As it stands, Panama occupies the third and final automatic CONCACAF World Cup qualifying spot on 10 points. The U.S. sits fourth on nine points to 100% guarantee qualification for Russia. The U.S. must win both games. The team that finishes fourth in CONCACAF will have a two-legged play-in against Australia or Syria. Syria, pretty tasty. I think four points would be pretty good. Mm. Four points would be pretty good. Six points would obviously just dominate job. and yeah. blow off any fears. What six points is, we're going to win the bloody World Cup. Four points is, we've got no sleep till Moscow. This is a Friday night, huge game, huge stakes against a Panama still smarting from us, knocking them out in lethal fashion. Uh, of the last World Cup qualifiers with a late, late Graham Zuzi-inspired comeback, which allowed Mexico to edge into the World Cup at the Panamanians' expense. So Friday night's game, just the biggest U.S. World Cup qualifier since November 1989, when Paul Caligari's goal beat Trinidad on the road to qualify for the 1990 World Cup. Probably the highest-profile U.S. game since Belgium 2014 World Cup. The difference being... In both of those games, the U.S. were charming, overachieving underdogs, as you were saying earlier about underdogs. On Friday, they're going to be playing the role of underachieving, low-confidence, regional power, sagging, confused, under the pressure of expectation. Can they deliver? Of course they can deliver. Of course they can deliver, and I think we all expect them uh, to deliver. Um, it's going to be a lot of pressure on Panama too. A lot of pressure on them playing in Orlando. They're not going to get an Alexi Lalas tongue lashing. <laughs> no, playing, in that, <laughs> playing in that new stadium. Uh, it's good. I think this is what the US needs. Big games of football, I think. I'm not talking about the US men's national team. I think US soccer, I think the, it's, uh, it, it's great. I can't wait for it, Rog. I'd say the last two games don't exactly inspire confidence. That September loss to Costa Rica at home. And the desperate draw at Honduras. Thank you, Bobby Wood. Bruce Arena was brought on to steady our ship. And he summoned for these two games, looking at the lineup, an experienced MLS-heavy crew to get to the other side of these treacherous rapids and reach safe harbour. There's notably not a single German-American in the US squad for this massive set of games. No Fabian Johnson. Fitness issues, concerns about how he would adjust to the Caribbean heat. No Texas's finest Western McKinney from Schalke, too young for the crucible of battle. DeAndre Yedlin, however, will return. There is enough talent on this US team, Davo. Problems in the last round were tactical 
and mental. But in the last massive must-win game, the Snow Classico against Costa Rica, I think this is going to be a not-pretty game, but the US will find a way, any way, to get this done. I've got a feeling Clint Dempsey is going to be the sword in the darkness, the watcher on the walls, the shield that guards the realms of men. I must say, I think you're dead on right with that. I think that in these big qualifiers, these tense qualifiers, I've witnessed a lot of those as an England fan, it tends to be the experienced internationals who step up in these big games and deliver the goods, Rog. In other international notes, we are thrilled, thrilled to see Jack Harrison. Couldn't be more thrilled. Of NYCFC, astonishing, gain a call-up to England's under-21 team. We, We said over Twitter this was remarkable, and it is remarkable for two reasons. Harrison's against the grain career journey. He left Manchester United's academy to head to American High School on the directive of his wonderful mother, his wonderful mum, who wanted to make sure he got an education. That journey's been vindicated. And to be recognised by the English FA, would you describe them as risk-averse conservatives? Yeah, risk-averse conservatives. And by the way, Rod, we should note for the England under-21s, who are so much better than the England uh, full men's team, (laughs) the under-21s are superb. To be recognised by them while he's playing in MLS is a feather in the cap for Harrison, for his family, for NYCFC and the entire league. Real achievement for all. I want to mention a heartwarming international story to close. A story first reported by Stars and Stripes FC of seven-year-old Alex Ibarra, seven, Mm. the American Outlaws Oakland junior capo, who has made the beautiful and bold decision to raffle off the treasure of his life, his signed Christian Pulisic jersey in order to help raise funds for relief efforts in Puerto Rico. I'm getting goosebumps. Oh, that's lovely. As I read this, the raffle is going to take place October 6th at an American Outlaws Oakland watch party. We, we are blown away by Alex's inspirational selflessness, and we've decided to sully the raffle by adding a sign limited edition Men in Blazers Adidas national team jersey for mm. an unlucky second place raffle winner. Mm. So we say support Alex and may one day run U.S. soccer and be all of our bosses. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's really amazing, Rog. Everyone listening, you can buy tickets for the auction via AO Oakland's website at aooakland.ecwid.com. Oh, and buy him, support him, and follow his lead. It's an amazing act of kindness. The world needs a lot more of them right now. Okay, your weekend looks like this, Rog. It starts Friday night with the USA-Panama clash at 7.35 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. Saturday at 3.30 Eastern time, it's the NWSL semi-final, Rog, as the Portland Thorns host the Orlando Pride at Providence Park. At that same time, on Sunday, the number one seed North Carolina Courage hosts the the Chicago Red Stars. Both of those games are on Lifetime. And because it's an international break, the weekend lasts until Tuesday when the USA will try and officially punch their ticket to Russia. Unique territories at 8 p.m. Eastern on B in Sports. And we're going to pod on Wednesday next week so we can capture just the joy, the celebration, the goals that will overflow us from Graham Zuzzi. Yeah. Okay. yeah, if you're a Trinidad and Tobago <laughs> fan, you might want to skip next week's pod. <laughs> yeah. There are many other ways to connect to us, including our now oh extinct please, Amazon please, Emporium. Please. It's gone, which used to keep the show going. Amazon had to close it down because they, they weren't making enough money. It's too popular. Since Amazon has done away with the partner program, which they have done, by the way, for about a year, but we've still been putting things in there. We're just talking about crap we like, and we're going to post links to them on our website, meninblazers.com. We no longer get a tiny percentage that allows we us to cover the cost of creating the show. <laughs> what are you putting in, in, in the Men in Blazers tuck shop, Roger? <laughs> what are you putting in the tuck shop? Oh, a book, Dave. Yeah. The Drowned and the Save by Primo Levi. I, I pick the same book every year at this time. I read it all day on old Yom Kippur. It's a book about suffering, life, meaning, experience, memory, all the great stuff. about oh, how you, you love suffering. Oh, I do. How stories are told and by whom. The, the essay, The Grey Zone, I said this last year, which looks at how history reduces everything to good and evil, white and black, instead of the reality in which everything's a complex shade of grey, remains the greatest piece of writing I have ever engaged with. Everyone's guilty of simplifying the things that surround them. Yes, even me, Dave. And reading the same thing every year, I've come to realise it's a remarkable ritual, really rich part of my life. I always take something new out of that essay, but the added layers of meaning that come 
for my realization about how I've changed with every reading. Just make it one of the, the joys of my life to read those words. Any of our listeners who read the same thing over and over, anything, email me. Let me know what it is and why. I'd love to hear your stories. I walked into the podcast today and I immediately stopped. I looked at producer JW and Rod said, I don't have anything to put in the Emporium. And Rod looked at my jacket and said, is that a Barracuda jacket? Oh, Barracuda? And ping, light bulb. We're going to put the Barracuda jacket into the Emporium. The Barracuda, Rog, it's a classic Manchester sort of so jacket. banging, I'm winning my Barracuda, man. That the skinheads and the mods in the 1960s sort of adopted, maybe the 50s actually, adopted and uh, started wearing J. Crew make a very nice one. Steve McQueen wore them. Arnold yeah. Palmer wore them. Yeah. The Happy Mondays wore them. Dave O wears them. It's a, I love a Barracuda jacket. Has a nice sort of tab collar. Has a nice sort of plaid uh, lining. It's incredibly well tailored and yeah. contoured to Davo's pecs. Yeah, it is. It's well, it's well contoured. Um, look, they don't come cheap, but you can pretty much, depending on what part of the country you live in, you could. They're sort of nine months a year, ten months a year uh, jackets. Uh, really nice. My color is utility. You can get it at jcrew.com. It's the Barracuda G9 jacket with thermal insulation. Do you get a pair of great pecs with them, David? Yeah, you do. Or do you have to yeah. buy your own? Yeah, well, you, just, yeah. you can go to my... If, if you want, just send me an email. I'll send you to my implant guy. Okay, visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness. A new issue is going out this Friday in which you'll preview, Rog, the USA versus Panama game. And we have a special interview with the American Outlaws in which they talk about all that's riding on these final two World Cup well, qualifying everything. games. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies, Why at Roger Bennett, on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy oh, underscore so Davies, on Facebook, at Men in Blazers. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex Matumbo? Tuitions! Balls win, balls win! Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To see a sucker. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung fu fight in America. I love you, Dave. Love you, Rog. Insert tension bed here. Do-dum. 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 Do-dum.